comfortable? Yeah, I'm right by the fire. I put this sweater on so I could take it off if, like, button it off instead of pull it over my head if need be. Rip it apart. Oh, the Hulk sweater. So today we are here to talk about how last week you woke up and couldn't hear out of your left ear and now you are 100% deaf in that ear mm-hmm. which is it pains me to say like it's it's horrible it's you're now permanently 100% deaf in one of your ears yeah it's it's hard to even know where to start talking about this i think this is the first podcast episode we've done where i'm nervous I I feel I want to be able to do justice to this, my story, but also those who have experienced anything similar to this, not just with hearing loss, but like finding themselves with this big change. And in my case, a disability now, it's important to me that I articulate this in an accurate way and a relatable way. So I, I'm going to do my best to share all of the details I want to be known. But yeah, it's been, I think a week and a half now that I've been completely deaf in my left ear, though it's been a 12 year experience to arrive at this level of deterioration. And you, you've been Essentially 70 to 80% deaf for 12 or so years. Well, so I'll, I'll start with that story. 12 years ago, more or less. It was January 4th. I had just flown home a couple of days prior from Ottawa. I had gone up to visit friends for New Year's. I was still in university. I think it was in my last year of university at St. Mary's in Halifax and I woke up and my ear felt like it does when you have water in it, like it needed to pop kind of like you would after being on an airplane. And at the time I thought nothing of it other than, you know, I'll go to class and my ear will pop throughout the day. And it didn't. And this lasted for a few days and it just, everything sounded muffled, but I thought it was just more because of the sensation I was experiencing So I went to the campus doctor and he did a series of primitive hearing tests, essentially, where he would tap a tuning fork and put it on different parts of my head. And I was to tell him where I was hearing this sound. So, oh, that sounds like it's on the right side and it's kind of loud or kind of not. And So I went through this exercise and he's like, oh, I got to, I'll be right back and left the room and came back maybe five minutes later. And he said, they're waiting for you up at the emergency room at the QE2. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm in my early twenties and by myself, why, why are they waiting for me at the emergency room? Like what's going on? Like this was the, the statement that was made with no explanation and He said, basically, you answered every question or every sound question the opposite of what you should have. So there's something wrong. Okay. that was it. It was pouring rain that day. And I remember walking up to the QE2. It was maybe half a kilometer away. And 
I was met by two resident like intern doctors or doctors in training. And they said, we're going to puncture your eardrum because they believed at the time that there was fluid trapped in behind the eardrum. So I went into a room with these, you know, two, two young aspiring doctors and they strapped me down on a table. So they put a strap, like a seatbelt strap over my chest to hold my arms down and turned my head so my left ear was facing up and put a strap over the top of my head so I couldn't move. And they they had this needle essentially on the end of a machine that they wheeled down, like cranked down closer and closer to my ear. They poured in like a freezing that that was the most painful part. It was really, it felt like hot lava going in my ear. And I remember like wincing at the pain of that. And then they use this needle to puncture the eardrum. And the idea was that fluid would drain out over the next couple of days and the hearing would be restored and the sensation would then be freed up. They also put me on a high dose uh, prescription of a steroid, which was maybe for 10 days. So that day I went home, of course, after this sort of traumatic experience. And not only did the sensation not change, but I developed tinnitus from that day on. And for those of you who don't know tinnitus or tinnitus, uh, it can be pronounced both ways, is a ringing in your ear. And a lot of people have experienced this maybe after a loud concert or if you're really overtired, there's lots of reasons that it can happen uh, sort of periodically or intermittently. My experience is that the noise I hear, which is like a high-pitched squeal or ringing sound, I have had 24-7 since that day. Uh, you've probably experienced tinnitus from being a musician. Yeah, never for any prolonged amount of time. Yeah, but you can relate to like, okay, I know what that, uh, yeah, yeah, I've had that. I, I assume everyone's felt it at different times for a blast of 10 seconds here and there or whatever it may be. But those doctors who did that, they also said that there's no correlation. Like the moment they popped your mm. eardrum, your ear began to ring and it's been ringing since then, 12 years. Yeah, I tried, again, early 20s, have no idea what's going on, by myself, afraid, lack of confidence, all these things. I was angry. I knew that whatever they had done not only didn't work, but had made it worse. And when I challenged that with the ear, nose, and throat specialist, who I saw 10 days later after after the prescription, you know, this follow-up appointment, like, well... Now I have this ringing in my ears and the explanation from him was, well, often tinnitus comes with hearing loss, which may be true, but I didn't have that ringing until this procedure had been done. But there was absolutely no accountability or responsibility taken on the part of any of these doctors. And and you're kind of just left to accept whatever they have to say. Like it's such a casual conversation from their eyes like oh yeah often when you have hearing loss this 
this ringing does happen and you're like, okay, like forever? Like, is this just how I hear now? And at that time I had only lost, I want to say 10% hearing. Like I noticed it and you notice it because it, there's a physical sensation to it as well. It's not just how you hear things, but like your ear and kind of down your neck and that side of your head actually physically feels different. Plus you have this ringing. And so I, I'm trying to have a, a reasonable conversation with this doctor and it's just kind of like, well, no, like this is normal. This is what you have now. Like go, go deal with it. And I remember walking back to my car and sitting in the front seat, I called my mom and burst into tears and just said, like, I, I can't do this. I, I can't live this way. I can't live the rest of my life with a fire alarm going off in my brain 100% of the time. And well, here well, I am 12 years you've, later. <laughs> you've managed to do that. Yeah, I, I cried every day for a month and tried to, like we often all do when you have something weird happen with your body and nobody seems to be able to help you, like go down the rabbit hole of doing my own research and trying to find solutions or at least mitigations. Like how can I, how can I just exist and tolerate this? Um. With tinnitus, I guess it depends on how loudly you hear that. And, and coupled with the hearing loss, it, my whole world was suddenly different. I tried everything, you know, and this is, I'm going to fast forward sort of over a number of years now. The hearing loss from that day continued. Um, it was like two to three percent roughly a year. Uh, that, you know, and you, you tally that up over more than a decade, I eventually, as of a few years ago, was around 70 or 80% hearing loss. And there was, I have seen, I think, three ear, nose, and throat specialists. I've seen a neurologist. I've been to physio, osteo. I've had cranial sacral therapy. I've had moxibustion which is where they burn herbs over your ear to rid of bad spirits like i have tried Maybe everything it, it, so it wasn't just a ghost in your ear that's what i was gonna say you i know probably have a ghost that was the other diagnosis the ent offered like it's either just you know this freak accident or there's a ghost yeah. living so we we definitely boiled it down to the unknown yeah the ghost is gone so i i have <laughs> Two things to say, one serious and one funny. And uh, the serious one is it's hard to believe that there's no accountability for for doctors in a situation like that where they are able to send two essentially interns in to do something to you that sounds like they don't know what the hell they were doing. And your ear has been, well, you basically are now because of likely part of that, uh, you are now 100% deaf. Yeah, it's it's really heartbreaking to look back on that day. And I, I just didn't know better. And who would ever dream that this would be the outcome of it? I, I've been thinking a lot lately about the the healthcare system. And I, I'm not here to just, you know, trash talk Nova Scotia healthcare. We all know that we have problems. But you and I are also 
just coming home from a developing country where there's a young boy who you helped basically save his life because the healthcare system is so terrible. Like I have the perspective of, I have access to, you know, quote free healthcare and you get what you pay for. I'm just going to slide that in, but it's not lost on me that I am very privileged to have access to a lot of the healthcare that I do like that for the record. I, I know that and I have benefited from it. I got in to see this doctor and yada, yada. However, there's so little empathy and just time spent on talking. Like there's no, like you go see a naturopath, you spend an hour and a half with them digging into your health history because that holistic approach matters. When you go see especially a specialist, you're in and out in five minutes and you can very much sense their urgency to move on to the next patient. Yeah. I have also reflected a lot on the role that I spent a number of years in in government. So many of you know, our listeners, that I've recently left this job in government. But for a lot of those years, I was what they call the EA, which is essentially the chief of staff to our minister of both business and most recently the minister of justice. And I know how it feels and what it's like and why it's like that to be the recipient of time spent with a cabinet minister. They are incredibly busy. They're overworked. They have a million files on their desk. There's all of these reasons that if you even are lucky enough to get in front of these people who are change makers, you have your 15 minutes to plea your case in hopes that they will listen to you and there will be an outcome. And I know from being a person in all of those meetings that at no fault of the minister, probably more the system, that there's a very good chance that the outcome has either already been decided or there just is not time to explore your individual case. And I relate that back to me being a patient in front of this ENT. I am one of 20 people he's going to see that day. And because I didn't fit into a very specific set of symptoms, I left that day and every other appointment I've had since with every other doctor without a diagnosis. It's almost as though, and I I get your analogy, but it is a doctor's responsibility to 100% the responsibility to, to care for their patient. Like they're supposed to be looking at the, what the patient needs and well, do whatever has to be done to, to put them along the path to make them better. But that feels like it it doesn't happen. Yeah, I have prayed for someone just to be curious. Like I hope I I meet a doctor who is curious enough about this odd situation that I'm in. Like there there is no no reason uh, allegedly. Uh, of course there is, but nobody has bothered to do the research or the testing necessary to figure out why this is happening. So the most recent ENT I saw, and 
I, you know, I said, like, why is this happening? Like, what is causing a deterioration? Like, what is, what do I have? And he's like, well, you have hearing loss. Like, well, no, that's the outcome. Like, obviously I have hearing loss, but why? And it's always just, we don't know. Like, no idea. It's got to be a spirit. It's got to be the ghost. The ghost is not gone. <laughs> and uh, my, so my second comment, the, the funny one, um, we often talk about the 90s like it was, you know, 10 years ago or something. It will always be 10 years ago. Um, I think your your timeline of your age may be a little, a little uh, out of whack here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you reference your early 20s. And uh, I think, you know. I was the, in my late 20s. I think that may be a little more accurate. All right. <laughs> all right. We'll correct the age no, then. No, I was I, in my late 20s, folks. Well, <laughs> it's, it's just... I think when we we look back at our life, we, mm-hmm. we the passage of time sometimes gets uh, a little misconstrued, and, and I just I just thought myself oh, that's funny because you said it once, then you said it again, and then I'm like, okay, I have to make a joke about this. <laughs> I will always be Chris, 21. Kristen thinks she's 30. Yeah. Well, uh, well, you you you, you look 30 to me. Thank like, you. Uh, Thank you. You very much like a, I like a twenty eight year old. I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah, well, there we, we've corrected the timeline there, but that is okay. true. But but back to uh, back to all this, and this is I've been with you this whole time, and it's it's been well heartbreaking, and just seeing you go through this has been it's a incredible challenge that you're facing every day and you have still been able to function in day-to-day life and carry on your life in a a way that unless someone unless you told someone or unless someone asked they wouldn't know and this has come to your detriment ultimately because the old saying the uh squeaky wheel gets the the grease mm-hmm. like when you go to a doctor and you are telling them like well yeah my my hearing's gone like i i get migraines every few weeks i'm dizzy you tell them all these symptoms but then you're also oh yeah but i also was working a full-time job i'm an artist i have all this stuff on the go i've ran a half marathon, all these things. They're like, oh, well, she can't have it that bad. Like, she's doing she's doing okay. But it's almost the fact that you are tough, you know? Like, you're, you're pushing through, you're finding your own ways to overcome it seems to backfire at times when you need to... It's almost if you were just a big wussy and just cried in bed all day, like, maybe you would get better help. It's one of the most frustrating parts of the experience and it it's given me a lot of patience and um, just caring for others who I know are going through hard times because, and, and, and thank you for you framing it in that way, because that's, I, I was given the advice early on from my audiologist that just try your best to adapt and cope as soon as possible. Like put yourself in situations that you're going to be in and learn 
on your own to tolerate that. I I very much took that to heart. I, I tried hearing aids and, you know, that's a whole thing that they just didn't work for me. Um, I I really pushed myself and continue to just live my life as normal as possible. But you're you're so right in that it's backfired, at least as far as the medical system has gone, because I am seen as perfectly capable of existing and participating in every situation that someone without a disability could. I promise you, none of those environments are comfortable for me. I, especially in my government job, there was a point I I went on what they called stress leave because I started to experience uh, these flare-ups with my the tinnitus would get so piercingly loud. I, I could hardly even hear other sound in the room. All I could hear was this alarm bell going off in my head all day long. Uh, I would get migraines, like sick. I'd be throwing up sometimes. And then I would be in bed for three or four days, just absolutely wiped out of energy. So you can't be the chief of staff to a cabinet minister and be like, your head is actually freaking out. You can't move. This went on for a few years and my my sick leave actually expired after only three months because I didn't have a diagnosis. And if you don't have an official diagnosis, I can't fill out paperwork to say I'm sick, essentially. So at that point in my life, I had to make a decision of do I force myself to go back to this high pressure nine to five job and everything else in my life feeling this way? Or do I just not earn any income? I didn't qualify for anything because I had no evidence other than, well, she can't hear. So I was really left with no no choices. Uh, I, I did at that time opt to give myself several more months of just coping and trying to to learn to deal with this wasn't like an evolution these migraines and whatnot you know this didn't happen right away so every year I've kind of had to deal with like what's what's this year going to look like or this month or this day I did end up going back to work eventually um and again like what even accommodations do you ask for? Like, this is what the job requires of you. If you can't do that, then you're you're no use to your your employer, or at least that's how I felt. Um, that was a really hard time for me. I, I felt just out of options, and I felt like forced into, um kind of at my own detriment, making myself do all of these things, living my life normally. And and like you're saying, most people who know me, like I show up at a party or a concert or, you know, what what a movie, any environment, and I I look and I, I appear and behave in a way that you would have no idea anything is wrong. Every single second I am in those environments I'm like, I'm working harder. I'm working harder to hear. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of focus. I'm trying to just 
be myself and be fun and funny and the things I want to be and truly am, there's just extra brain power being put towards existing. So it's it's very tiring. I, I usually come home from those places exhausted. The tinnitus is always aggravated if I'm like overtired or if I'm at a rock show or mm-hmm. <laughs> things like that, like it's irritated. Um, but yeah, the, the biggest, the biggest part of this story, like this aspect of the story that you raised is from the medical perspective, because I don't complain about it and because I have grit and determination, I've almost been penalized for, mm-hmm. for that. And, and that's just so, so heartbreaking. It's it's a hard thing to navigate too. Like what are what are you how do you react? Like do you do you go to the hospital and just fucking let loose yeah, on like them? scream your head off in the yeah. hallway? Yeah. I, Which I know. It's fine to do. Like it's not like it wouldn't be held against you, I think, but I <laughs> by me anyway. Uh <laughs> I'll just pretend it's the mechanic that fixed our car that I let oh, loose yeah, on. Oh, yeah, you went crazy at them. <laughs> I have it in me. Uh, take your health into your own hands like our 2020 Ford Escape that hit a deer <laughs> and the car took four months to get fixed. Oh, my God. It's it's obvious, stating the obvious by saying, like, we shouldn't have to behave in this way. It's a shame to think that I have to be an asshole for somebody to pay attention to me because it's just not in my nature. And I, I'm trying to be understanding of the experience of, like, look, we just don't, there is no simple test. We don't know. Like, I accept that. I get it. But can you just try anything? Like, try something other than saying, like, this is it. But you're so helpless in those appointments. I mean, I I have tried to push and demand and if there isn't an answer, there isn't an answer. There's only so far that conversation can go, but it's also made me think about just using this as an example, like victims of abuse and assault. Like you you're faced with the decision like if I want to press charges or speak up against this, what a vulnerable position you're adding to your already terrible experience like i'm not i'm not in my best shape here and now i'm being asked to be my own advocate and like push really hard and put myself in these uncomfortable situations up against the medical system like that's a lot to ask of somebody yeah so i i think about that too like i don't i don't want to go in there and have to yell at you like haven't I been through enough that you just want to help me? But of course, that's never been it, been enough. Like medical science has been taking huge leaps in the last number of years, but it truly seems like there is a lot not known about the inner ear. Yeah. Like so yeah, that's true. And you would think there would be more <laughs> research or understanding by now. I guess we know a lot about COVID, but who I know that. I know that whatever the problem is, is in the inner ear. So there's three parts to your ear, the outer, the middle, and the inner ear. There's no blockage. There's, you know, they they think that the vestibular nerve is dead, which 
okay, but why has it been this deterioration? Like if a nerve dies, you would think, and I'm clearly not a doctor, but you'd think like, okay, it's dead. It's dead. It doesn't work. But if, and if you're 96, like that seems more reasonable, but when you're in your early twenties and, uh, (laughs) that, that, that starts, well, when you you were in your Mm twenties, um, that, that seems like just why, why would the inner ear of a girl's 27 or 28 just all of a sudden stop working and die? Mm-hmm. And maybe that, maybe there is a particular reason that makes sense. Just why can't they at least offer a reason? Like, well, sometimes young, healthy people, this happens to their ear because. Exactly. Like, it just. The only guesses that I have been offered have been like they they did an MRI and checked to see if there was a tumor at the time there was not and assume there still isn't though I'm scheduled to go for another MRI with this recent change again um it hearing loss can be caused from trauma which I did not experience like head trauma well it didn't I thought I hit you with a hammer right around that time yeah I didn't tell them about that though so yeah that's table uh trauma um if you have a a particular kind of virus that can apparently cause hearing loss i don't know what virus that was never revealed um or like Meniere's disease is is one example that often hearing loss happens in one ear and i've asked a number of doctors like well maybe i have that there are, say, 10 symptoms of Meniere's disease. I only had eight of them. So I was told, no, that's probably not it. Which, again, is one of those things like, well, really? Like, I have eight, though. And if if you if that's what it is or if you bother to check that that's what it is, there are medications that can be taken to regulate this. And it's just always been like, no, we don't know. Even me explicitly asking, like, can you check maybe if this is it? No. I am the ghost of Kristen's yeah, Can you just check if there's a ghost? Like, do That's an x-ray for the ghost. Like, Beetlejuice, it, maybe, it is in there. I don't know. And I've been to a lot of these appointments with you, and I've had different health things similar to this, like with my arm, mm-hmm. in trying to figure out, like, these kind of, this, I don't want to say mysterious, but I guess that is a good word, like, Injuries that aren't very specific, like, oh, I fell down the stairs, my arm is broken in this spot, or I got punched in the face and my orbital bone is broken, or, like, there's a lot of things, like, I'm going to give birth to a child mm-hmm. that the Canadian health healthcare system is top friggin' notch. Like, if you if you have these particular things happen to you or are going through these particular things, like... They know exactly what to do. But then once it gets on the fringe of that, it's like this whole, and it's so weird how there's no empathy there at all. Like I was with you at the last appointment when the doctor came out and said, you are now permanently deaf. And he said it like he was just a cashier, like just making small talk. Oh yeah, you're you're permanently deaf now. Um, just uh, we'll get in touch with you um, next week for a new appointment. Like, buddy. Also, your last name is Biscuit. Um, 
Well, that's fucking weird. Uh, but it's not credible at all. Yeah, you were not a real doctor. <laughs> it was Doctor Biscuit. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> it's just how can you just exist and be such an asshole? Like he wasn't mean by at all, but it was just no empathy at all. Like a young person, like in the prime of their life, just came in and is now completely deaf in one ear and you can't say just i'm sorry or change the tone of your voice yeah anything i know and it, before we went to that appointment so so let let me just quickly share the story of this most recent development it would be almost two weeks ago now i woke up it was a friday morning and the sensation i experienced 12 years ago was what i woke up with it was identical in that it felt like my ear needed to pop like there's water in it and we had recently flown again. And, you know, I, I've been asked by the few people who I've shared this story with, like, well, is flying maybe. But I've been on, we've, what, we've been on 50 airplanes in the last 10 years. Like, yeah. I, maybe there's a correlation, but who would ever know? So par- park that. But that day, I sort of went through the same mental exercise of thinking, like, this will go away. And yes, I had I was only down to 70 or 80 percent or that's how much hearing loss I had experienced at the time. So I've grown used to these adaptations, like living differently, hearing differently, functioning differently. But I'll tell you that 20 percent now that it's gone made just an enormous difference. But that day, I as the hours passed, I was like, oh, my God, like this this might be a thing. This might actually be real and and sticking around. And I I think I mentioned it to you that night, like, ah, this is kind of a new development that's happened. And we sort of like agreed, like just sleep on it and wait until tomorrow. And when I woke up on Saturday, I, I knew, I just knew in my heart that 24 hours had passed. This, this was going to be it. I was deaf. I was completely deaf. I, I, I kept snapping my finger by the left ear like through the day to see if there was any change um, and trying to pop my ear like, you know, after this many years, I know how to do these little tricks to bring comfort. But I called my audiologist and because I had a file started, I just left my name and number and explained what had happened. They told me years ago, like, if there's any sudden changes, just call right away and we'll get you in. And they did. They called me back on Monday and I went in for the hearing test on Tuesday, which is the appointment you're referencing now. So I went in, I and before we left, I said, this is what's going to happen. We were driving into the hospital and I said, we're going to get there. They're going to do the hearing test. It's going to show I'm completely deaf. They're going to put me on a steroid and they're going to tell me that there's nothing that they can do about it. And that this is just my life now. And they'll send me for a follow-up with an ENT whenever they can. That and happened exactly like that. That's exactly, that was my exact appointment. And the the ENT or the the intern I saw, it was also kind of presented like, well, we're yeah, we're going to put you on this steroid. And uh, I said to him, like, I, I tried this a dozen years ago, this exact prescription, and it didn't do anything. But if I didn't take that prescription again this time, I would not 
be eligible to see the specialist. So I had to take this super high dose steroid that makes you feel all kinds of side effects and symptoms, which is the least of my worries, I suppose. But again, that lack of empathy of like, you're really like, I was really scared. I was, I'm upset. I'm a whole spectrum of emotions in this moment. And they're asking me to take this prescription that makes me feel worse. There was no health history. There's no like, do you have allergies or have you taken this before or did this work before? Like nothing. He came out and just sat with me in the waiting room and he's like, well, I have a few minutes if you have any questions. And I'm like, I have a million questions. Like what the hell's going on? But anyways, I took that prescription. It did nothing, which I knew would be the case. And as of now recording this podcast, I have an appointment tomorrow with the same goddamn ENT I saw 12 years ago, which is also disappointing. Well, let's just hope that this guy's learned something in 12 years that didn't exist then because he didn't know shit all then. (laughs) Maybe he read a book about the inner ear. I I don't know. I'm, I'm just... I'm not getting my hopes up. I, it's such a weird headspace, especially it's interesting for me to talk about this now because it's so new to me. Like I'm very early on in readjusting to my world all over again. Every environment I go in is suddenly different in a very challenging way. Like grocery shopping is like, I don't, I don't, I, I, it's hard to articulate your, your whole relationship and interaction with the world is different. I went to one of your shows actually. So I, I went deaf on the Friday. I think it was Sunday that you had that outdoor show in Dartmouth and we were sitting in the like outdoor green room and your bandmates were coming in and out and there was music playing and all these kids playing outside. And it was just like this whirlwind of sound and I I couldn't hear and I'm like do I tell people or do I just try to persevere and move on with this like it didn't even sound like music that was playing like you kind of only pick up different notes here and there and it's just this really disorientating experience and again you're trying really hard to just smile and interact with people like you normally would because they can't see that this is happening. If I showed up with a cast on my arm, everyone would be like, oh my God, like what happened to your arm? And you can explain and they'll open the door for you. And, mm-hmm. but when you're deaf, there's just no way for others. And, and I, I, I know that, like, I don't expect for, and, and really what accommodations could be made. Like eye contact is good. And um, j- just the understanding that my presence in this environment is difficult. It's hard to socialize. Driving is really uncomfortable suddenly for whatever reason. Um, even little things like if you touch your ear, you can hear that. So if you're listening right now, like let's just do two things. Touch, touch your ear and you can, you can hear inside of your ear that like you're rubbing your earlobe. Like that makes a noise. So... I don't hear that anymore. And it's the smallest thing, but I think that's a good example of that small of a thing is now different for me. Imagine being at a music festival, like how different that is. 
Um, and really just to give a sense of wake what it was like for me a couple of weeks to go to wake up, just plug one of your ears and walk around like that for five minutes. Like how, how different is your experience? Like it's that simple. It's, it's one of the probably few disabilities that you can really recreate. Like someone can experience this, like just plug one ear, like now live your life that way and add, add ringing in it, I guess. But yeah. And it's different. Like when you plug your ear, you're still getting vibrations and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's a lot of sensory aspects that you no longer get at all. Yeah. And it's, it's little things like, I love immersive experiences, like really, like we were just in New York and we love kind of the grandness of that. And part of the grandness of any experience is sound. It, it, it gives depth. It gives, um, it's a sensation you feel. It's not just having a conversation and understanding the words that you're saying. It's how you're experiencing that, how you're feeling in that experience. That's what's different now. That's what's emotionally hard to get used to. It's it just doesn't make sense. I I can't I can't figure it out. Obviously, I'm not a a doctor, but I I just wish someone else there out there would would take interest. One of these I don't know how many different doctors you saw over the last dozen years, but it's been a lot, mm -hmm. and all of them again. No empathy, just pass it on to the next person. Like, I guess maybe just where we live in the world, like there's no people who are like at the the cutting edge of of medical science. So they're just hoping someone else out there in New York or wherever the the big institutions are learn something, and they just take care of the things that they that they've read about and studied in university. But it seems like no one around here. Like if I if I was <clears throat> anytime I'm given a problem, like just in my job in my music world, someone said, oh, "Hey, here's a song I can't figure out how to get from this chorus back into the verse or whatever." And I know this is a completely different example, but I love getting problems that fit within what I do that I can try to solve. Like, okay, let's let's work on this. Let's let's dive in. Let's really try to assess what's going on and to just not have any any interest like there's no one that just they just don't care at all like that's the big thing to me like how can you go through a dozen year school to work in, on one specific thing you work on ears <laughs> and someone comes with a mysterious issue and you can't even say like three things it could possibly be just like well there's a lot of things it could be good luck with your life yeah and if that were one consistent person that would be one thing this has been 10 people send me away with that same lack of interest and empathy and I, I guess the empathy thing is one thing, and you, you can't expect every doctor to just whatever fawn over you and just mm -hmm. kind of they they have to kind of be a little bit like that. But yeah, but to just 
to just not show any of that and also just the, the zero interest at all. Like, it just seems like it's, okay, here's a task. And the, the thing is, all the naturopaths that you've talked to are, like, contacting everyone they know. They're like, incredible. Reaching mm-hmm. out to people, like, this is going on. Do you have any idea? And everyone, people you don't even know are, like, trying to figure stuff out. And, and it's it's as simple, like, if you're, if you have the flu, if you're sick and you don't feel well, you're not necessarily expecting somebody to have wave a magic wand and now you're no longer sick. Like, that's not realistic. I get that. But somebody saying, I'm really sorry that you're sick. Can I get you a heating pad or some chicken noodle soup? That makes you feel better. Like, that makes a difference. And it's part of the reason that this isn't something I talk about all the time, like my my experience with hearing loss. I, I did write a blog about it a few years ago. and And part of it is selfishly speaking, so that others can understand, like, if I'm kind of quiet at times, or if I seem even grumpy, like, probably it's because I'm just struggling with this. And I, I don't want all this attention or, you know, you, you don't need to be at a party, like you say, fawning all over me, but just having that basic level of understanding of like, this is what's happening is important to me, but it's also become important to me for other people who have disabilities. And you and I have been talking about this a little bit lately, and even with some of our other podcast guests, we've had about the concept of identity and enoughness. And Mm -hmm. I, for the longest time, despite this deterioration of my hearing and how it's changed my experience with the world, have not identified as someone with a disability, like an artist with a disability or just a member of society. And now I completely understand what it's like to live differently in a world that is not designed for people like me. Mm -hmm. So I have that relationship and understanding of not, of course, every disability, but the emotional aspect of what it's like to have a disability. I, I completely get now. And I hope that part of the reason that this has all happened to me is that there's some kind of deeper purpose or representation or voice for me to have, be it this conversation you and I are having now or advocacy work or whatever that looks like. It's, I I need to find a purpose or motivation for this to make sense to me. And how does this play into your art? And you as an artist. I It's funny. I started this year mentoring a young artist with a disability because I have a disability. Like this was sort of how we were connected and feeling a little bit weird about that at the time. And like, am I deaf enough? Like, And actually, before I answer this question, I, I want to give um, some recognition to my friend uh, Vanessa Furlong and, and Aaron Ball. So Vanessa and Aaron are a circus collaboration amongst many other things that they do. But um, Erin had an accident, I think eight or nine years ago now and lost both of her lower legs. Uh, and they do this beautiful circus performance that tells her story. Uh, but they're, they're artists with disabilities this is essentially um, part of their, their story and identity. And this blog that I wrote a number of years ago that outlined the early part of my hearing loss story, it was, Aaron and Vanessa that reached out to me having read this blog and told me like you are part of the 
little d, so not so capital D deaf is like you have complete hearing loss. Little d deaf, you have partial hearing loss. And it was really Vanessa that gave me comfort in using that language. Uh, and I just I just want to thank her. It it made me feel seen and um it gave me permission to to talk about those things. So because they are fellow artists and they reached out as artists and we've collaborated together, but I think how it's impacted my art through this past 10 years has just been creating through a different identity and experience of your world. I believe that any form of creativity is just the culmination of your life story, essentially. So that has become part of my story. I think now that I'm completely deaf, I am, at least at this juncture, most comfortable at home in a quiet environment, particularly my art studio and our backyard with you. I've noticed that because your voice is so familiar to me, I feel at ease. Uh, we have been around other friends and family over the last couple of weeks, and 100% of those experiences have been uncomfortable. Just because I'm not used to, like, I have to look at their mouths a lot more. And with you, like, I just know the subtleties of your tone, and and I know you're, you're, you're understanding and loving. So, like... um. I know I'm getting off on a bit of a tangent here, but back to back to the art question. My studio is a very comfortable environment for me, thank God. I am so grateful that I have this way of working and creating and expressing myself. Um, I'm grateful that I don't have the pressure of going to my daily job that I have recently left. I will have to get used to what it means in every environment, but I find my studio is one of the few places where I forget that this has happened. Sound is kind of irrelevant. I think people say that when one of your senses is impacted, your others can be stimulated or heightened. Mm -hmm. And you, you actually raised this maybe last week about, I wonder if color will become more vibrant. Mm. And so it's something that I like that's one of the I don't want to say positive, but I guess positive things that I will look for. Like there will be more meaning put on those other senses and how I interact with color and art as a result of this. I don't know exactly what it will look like, but I, I think I need to believe that there is a reason for this. And it may be through artistic expression or it may be just identifying as an artist with a disability. And what does that mean for that community? And being, yeah, being a voice for others. Yeah. When I worked at the Department of Justice, uh, one of the files that I, I wasn't the lead on by any means, but that I had access to and worked on was the accessibility file. So uh, the built environment, they called it, for 2030 Nova Scotia. And that's essentially outfitting bu buildings and businesses to make them more accessible to people. And that can be a number of things. Uh, often we wheelchair accessibility comes to mind for for a lot of folks, especially when you're thinking about uh, like bathrooms at a restaurant. Um, but I 
you know, I met so many inspiring people from that accessibility lens and what their needs were and their story and how it came about and how they've adapted. And, you know, Aaron's another example of that, that we talked about earlier in the circus performance and having gone through this tragic thing in their lives and how they've found resilience and perseverance. And it's maybe they too have had this bittersweet experience of because they are resilient, it's they haven't been given maybe the recognition they deserve for how hard they're working. But I I get it now. And I feel like more love and appreciation for people that are doing work in those communities and bringing recognition to these very important causes. Like, I think we're all going through the world with something difficult. It could be everything from like the cost of groceries is incredible right now and housing and all these things like that's stressful. That's that changes you. It changes your world. It changes what you think about or what is stressful to you or maybe you're you know, your dog just died or your dad is sick or your car broke down. Like every person has a struggle in their life and this is just mine. I I need to really consider what I do about it. That's That will define my character. That will define the reason that this has happened to me and Again, it's interesting for us to talk about this now because it's so early for me in what my future will look like because of this. But I knew that Friday morning I woke up, I knew in my heart, like, this is this is going to be your life now. And what are you going to do about it? I, I already know that it's important to show up with courage and integrity and confidence and represent people who are struggling in a way similar or not to mine. And this is how you grab it by the balls. Well, your, your grit and your determination and the way you're approaching this is admirable and inspirational. And I know that it will People who will listen to this will will definitely be be inspired, and just want to thank you for for being that voice and talking about this openly because it is a, a very challenging thing, and it's very new. Like this is you're two weeks into to living with this. Com- this new variation of it and talking about it, I think will be good for other people. And maybe there's someone out there listening who can get rid of the ghost, get rid of the ghost. I am the ghost of Kristen's ear. (laughs) We should look up the day that you went in. We should look up who died in the world. Like if there's any like Mm. serial killers or something. That'd be cool if I was being haunted by somebody like noteworthy. Yeah, let's do that. Let's find who out who's haunting my ear. Okay, let's let's look it up now. We got to figure out the exact day. And- <laughs> I also, before we close up, I also want to thank thank you, but just acknowledge that 
it's also not easy to be you or a caretaker to some extent. It takes a lot. It's it's emotional, of course, for me and lonely, really, uh, a lot of the time, because I know it's not possible for you or anyone to truly understand what it's like. But it's very raw for you as well to not only witness me go through this, but to just take on the responsibility of being the one person in the world who is so close to me that you're kind of going through this too. It's, I know you're not looking for that, but there's something to be said for like a primary caretaker or person in your life that is there just to, you know, bring you the metaphorical chicken soup. And well, that's what, when you're, you're married to someone, you're, you do that. Like, no matter what happens to you, I'm there to support you and grow with you and figure figure things out. If you got in an accident and couldn't walk, like, it's uh, that's our new life. We figure it out. Mm-hmm. You lose your hearing, that's okay. We figure it out. How do we, we, we adapt? How do we grow? How do we continue to live a happy and enjoyable life it's it's yeah but you're not everyone would would show up in that way but you are and i like this is the first time i'm feeling weepy actually in talking about this is like i i just i i think because you feel so alone to begin with when something like this happens i just would be at an absolute i i would not be taking this in the strides and patience that I am without you, I, I would just be devastated. Well, I'm here for you, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll we'll get through it together. And now, with the the help of the our fans and friends and family out there, the, some people are going to find out about this. Like listening to this, like this will be their their way to find out and. There's people all over the world suffering from like what do you call it? invisible illnesses exactly. and just just after listening to this like just be conscious of the fact that every person you may encounter could be going through something and whether it's something similar to Kristen or maybe just a mental health thing or whatever like there are a lot of things that you can't see and even when someone's acting like they're they're doing awesome like just just be nice to everybody like Mm -hmm. because you don't know what anybody's going through exactly so important for you to to frame it in that way it's so true okay let's go figure out who's haunting your ear then okay we'll put it in the show notes okay (laughs) thanks for listening everyone tell your friends tell the doctors out there and uh, see you next week cheers